Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People. You know what it is by now if you've been listening for a while. Um, if you're new to the podcast, I encourage you to go and check out episode zero, which highlights the beginning of the podcast and its evolution over the last two and a half years. Today, I'm here with Dr. Evelyn Dacker. She, her pronouns, is that correct? Yes, I'm, I'm trying to get in the just uh, go ahead and saying it early on or at least asking at the very least. I know that that's come up. I heard you mention it on the Strange Bedfellows podcast. I would like for you to introduce yourself and I always ask this of the guests who have a lot of letters behind their names. <laughs> I don't have tons of letters behind my name, but I am uh, Evelyn Jacker and I am a medical physician. I am board certified in family medicine. I uh, have a certification in functional medicine, which is kind of the way of understanding disease by uh, the root of causes. I also think of it as naturopathy for medical doctors. I have been practicing as a physician for over 25 years. I've been in Salem, Oregon for at least 24 of those years. And I work in an integrative medical practice uh, here that I own. We do primary care, but my focus very much is on the whole person. And that has led me to the study and integration of sexuality as part of holistic medicine and understanding the importance of our sexuality as a very divine and human force for change within ourselves, for our health, as well as for our society. So a lot of my focus has been on uh, sexual healing as well as using that for physical healing. So you mentioned spirituality. Mm -hmm. In the medical community, I feel like it's really research-based, structured. We want facts, but when we talk about the spiritual element, is there like any sort of conflict there? No, not in my practice. And it really is how you, I, you know, I'm not talking about religion or any specific like dogma. I'm just talking mostly about seeing the divine and everything we do in our everyday life and integrating that. So it could be something as easy as talking about gratitude with patients and encouraging a gratitude practice to actually encouraging movement and nutrition and self-care. I mean, all of that is under the umbrella of the spiritual because it doesn't exist just in like, oh, you have this one medical disease or dysfunction that we're treating, so take this pill. Um, so it's a much more broad way of seeing ourselves as human, which is the way I approach my medical practice. Was it something that you learned or was it something that just came over time, like for you to incorporate that? I think it's been both. Okay. I think I've always been like that. It was one of the drives for me to go into medicine way back in the day. My drive was really to make the world a better place and to help people and the one thing about medicine that appealed to me is that it did so in a scientific, physical, research, evidence way, but also in order to really be impactful, you needed to reach into the human, spiritual, otherworldly way and combine the two. So it had that social conscious element with the scientific, and it just happened to be the perfect career for me and my path. Oh, I appreciate that. That's awesome. 
You sent me some things that I wanted to look at. I heard you originally on the Strange Bedfellows podcast with Elle Stanger. Uh, we have had her on the podcast as well in the past, if you want to go and check that out. You did a TED Talk, which you completely left out of your uh, intro. I feel like if I ever did a TED Talk, that'd be the first thing that goes on my bio. I did a TED Talk. Uh, I'm a personal trainer, and I host this podcast doing this thing. Yeah, I did a TEDx Talk on a... A safer sexual communication model that I, um, I don't want to say I invented it. I did not invent it, but I took it from many different resources. So what happened is that in my training through functional medicine, where we're actually trying to find the core causes of disease and dysfunction, I realized in my training that we were leaving out sexuality altogether. You know, we talked about nutrition, about the gut, about meditation, about sleep, about biochemistry, but we there was no conversation about the importance of our sexuality for our holistic and underlying health. And um, at that moment, I remember that download being like, I'm going to give a TED talk on this. Um, and I ended up going and doing my own education about sexuality. And in this education that I uh, went and saw, I went through different, many different communities. Like I went into the poly community. I went in to explore the kink community. I went in to explore the swinger community. I went into classes on how to do this, how to do that. What does, you know, all the things that, like adult sex ed. And the Tantra community, which is probably the community that speaks to me the most. And I realized that they were able to put their intentions, their boundaries, their desires, and create a container for themselves in whatever context that existed in. And I thought, oh my gosh, if we could teach this to everybody, that you don't have to be kinky, you don't have to be queer. You could just be like a frat student. You know, you could be a college student. You could be somebody who was married and divorced. If we could just have a way of communicating and creating a container for each other, we are going to have so much better consensual, yummy, meaningful relationships yeah. that don't need to be sexual in nature. So we just need to create this container. So I created a conversation called STARS, and it stands for sexual health or your STI status, your turn-ons, your avoids, your relationship intentions with each other and with yourself, and your safer sex protocol. And my TED talk is on why this conversation is important to have in that it's not really as difficult as we think it is. The first time you think, oh my God, what? I have to tell somebody my STI status or oh my God, I have to tell somebody what I like or oh, I have to actually create boundaries and, and be able to speak my boundaries. Wow, that's so scary and it's so not sexy. And that's just not the truth. It's actually one of the most intimate, sexy, yummy conversations you could have with another person. Even being clear about your intentions and knowing how to communicate yeah. things that you like, that translates everywhere. It's not just about intimate communication just like you said but it's also in the workplace with friendships with family and I think that this is a useful tool to apply in all areas of your life as far as clearly communicating because miscommunication tends to be a barrier to connection and you know communication is a practice so I was a member of Sex Positive Portland, who I am now the executive director on. One of the classes that we teach, the very, very core, first core class that you really need to take is something called Awesome Boundaries. And it's all a class about teaching you how to create boundaries. And it's 
mind-blowing because we're not taught how to do that. We're not taught as children. We're not taught as, as people. We're not taught as adults. We're not taught how to actually create boundaries and communicate our boundaries with each other. And yet that is probably one of the most important and key aspects to learning how to have authentic, good relationships and creating your intentions, you know, all of it. I do the stars talk with almost everybody in one form or another, not just to teach it, but also just to continually practice it and say, this is how I'm going to show up. And, you know, sometimes I may look like I'm trying to be flirty and wanting to get into bed with you, but really my intentions are just to get to know you better. (laughs) And so you may misread what I'm doing here, but what I'm doing, you know, and it allows me to be very clear in my communication and, and teaching people on this. So it's a great model, I think, and it's easier to remember than other models that I've come across. Like, oh, what does that stand for? You know, there's just five, there's five elements to it, stars, you know, I think of it like, let's reach for the stars when we're trying to create something great with another person. And what does that mean? And you don't have to do it in the order that it's set up for. I have it in that order because it works for me, but it may not work for someone else. And my first one is sexual health or STI status because I like knowing where someone's at from the very get-go, especially if I'm going to get naked with them. If it's somebody that I'm not going to get naked with, then it may not be the first thing I address, but, you know, I like to know where their attitude is on that and how they feel and where where they carry their shame or fear or their risk, you know. So for me, putting the STI and the sexual health first is really key and very important. What stands out to me the most about STARS is that I think that this is an amazing tool for disclosure. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are navigating a herpes diagnosis, and disclosing is a huge deal for many of us, and it really shouldn't be. So the way that you spoke on your TED Talk I thought that this was phenomenal insight for somebody uh, who may be going through that. So we talk about how, and I talk about this behind the scenes with people in one-on-one conversations, just how scary it is to have that conversation. But I think coming from where STARS is, I think that it allows for us to have it with a little bit more confidence and it allows us to really look at things that we may not have looked at before where without stars in mind, we're looking at our STI status and nothing else. Is this person going to be accepting of my positive STI status? And that's it. You know, and it is really challenging because we have so much story built around what it means to have an infection that we got through sexual play or sexual contact with each other. And there's so much cultural baggage with that. But why is there more cultural baggage with that versus disclosing that you like, you get turned on by your nipples being pinched hard, right? I mean, there's a certain pain in it and to be able to say that some people may like ooh, I wouldn't want to do that and some people may be like oh yes I want to go into that so like evening out the playing field I think is part of it like this is who I am this is what I bring to the table I may have this infection that I have had for the past you know 15 years and that's part of the baggage that I carry I also carry the baggage that I like my nipples to be pinched hard you know I'm just using that as an example it's not necessarily a true thing about myself but or that I am a cisgendered pansexual polyamorous human being I mean they're all part of the picture of who we are and one does not mean more than another except the meaning and the story we give it to it 
I had this really interesting conversation with the patient that really put things into perspective for me, where this patient came in and she had a rash on her inner labia thigh. She came in for another reason, like, oh, I've been feeling sick. Oh, by the way, I have this rash. Could you look at it? And it's been painful and burning. And yeah, I've been sick and I can't get over this illness. And so I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. This could be one of two things. It could be shingles, which is herpes zoster related to the chickenpox virus, or it could be herpes simplex type 2. It did not look like herpes simplex type 1, even though you can get type 1 on your genitalia. Um, she had some of the same symptoms of feeling feverish and sick. It was burning. They were very, very similar. Uh, looking at it, though, it looked more like shingles or chickenpox. But again, I couldn't say that it was that was, was what it was. So we had this conversation. I said, okay, this could be simplex or it could be chickenpox. And her reaction to both of those, the diagnoses, where it's like, oh my God, if it's if it's herpes simple, if it's HSV two, then what does it mean? And what does it mean about my sexuality? And what does it mean in terms of my marriage? I've been married for thirty five years. How could this be? And oh my gosh, integrating my own shame. If it's chickenpox, oh, I don't have any to worry about but it was the same feeling she was having the same pain the same uh, systemic you know feeling fluish it was exactly the same thing but different stories were aligned with it so we deconstructed that and I said well you know you do have to tell your partner we tested it and I had her come back in a few days and um, when she came back she's even before I told her what the results were she's like oh my god thank you Having to go through that process of thinking about what my story meant with both of those diagnoses was life-altering. And, you know, I talked to my husband about sex. And in 35 years, we've never talked about it. Because I was told when I was in high school that it, you shouldn't be doing something you can't talk about. And I never felt I could talk about it, so I always felt guilty about doing it. So when there was this possible diagnosis about something sexual, it felt so horrible and shameful for me that when I talked about it with my spouse, it unleashed and it just allowed this freeing. And I realized that everything in my body was okay. What that taught me was not so much about what she ended up having or not having, but the stories that we tell ourselves about our bodies, the stories that we carry about our shame, about the fact that there's something that we do with another human being to get pleasure, to get connection, to get love, to just freaking have an orgasm, right? Which is something beautiful. The ability that we're able to do that and then to carry away that, that we have to carry some shame with us because we got some infection, it's really just another way of controlling us through fear and negativity about our body. And the more we actually bring it out to the open and saying, you know what? Yeah, I have, I got chlamydia. I have HIV. I have syphilis. I had herpes. I get this. It's all part of being human. I also have had influenza. I've had chicken pox. You know, some people have mono. Those are all herpes viruses. I've gotten so sick from a damn yeast infection. I've had so much pain and discomfort from a damn yeast infection from eating too much sugar that, you know, it's all part of what we do as humans. Yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit because what you just did was completely blow this myth out of the water that discussions about STIs kill the mood. So you had this uh, woman who came into your office who's been married for 35 years finally talking to 
her partner about sex and it came up through a conversation around sexual health so we have this idea that talking about STIs and disclosing is going to be a buzzkill or kill the mood completely and that story right there just completely showed us that that's not the case and really I think that it it kills the mood and it's a buzzkill because of the way we feel about ourselves the way that we carry our own shame and our own stories about what we're doing. Um, I had a partner who had herpes type two. And I remember when we first had that conversation and trying to be like, okay, like how much of a risk is it? Is it something that I'm willing to enter into? And I'm like, you know, it's just part of who he is, part of his, of his being. And I'm, I have no reason to feel scared or fear around that. I'm, I'm then allowing the stories that other people had. He had no fear around that. He had no shame around that. And it allowed that whole thing to kind of just move past. But to get to that place where you don't carry that baggage is really where the work is. Mm-hmm. Really where the work is, is about being able to integrate like this is part of who I am now. And yeah, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good at all times. It's scary because I don't want to give it to anybody else. But you know, like, how many of us can be passive aggressive when we give that to each other? Not really wanting to give it to someone else. I think that that's a very um, noble thing. But we also have to consider the fact that there are people who, you know, just like you said, you accept this as a part of a person. So we shut ourselves off by not wanting to put someone at risk of exposure to the virus. We don't want to give ourselves to them. Let me reword that. We fail to realize that in that thought process, we're not wanting to give ourselves to them. And that's very isolating. It's very challenging to navigate that because you've got conflicting stories in your head of, I want to be with someone, but I don't want someone to know about this. I don't want people to know what my sexual health status is. I really think that one of the beauties about discussing sexual health with each other, whether it's, you know, erectile dysfunction, vaginal pain, recurrent urinary tract, like whatever it is, or if it's an STI, the thing about it is that it shows the people that we want to engage on an intimate level with, it shows them who we are as humans. It shows us, and it says that, look, I'm taking care of myself and I want to take care of you as well. So I'm not going to avoid this part of the conversation because being intimate with you means creating a safer container. And I'm going to show you all the pieces of that. And some of it's really hard and some of it's very scary because I think you might reject me because I can't have an erection for too long, or I have a lot of pain, or all these stories that we create, what it means to be intimate with each other. Having a diagnosis of a viral infection, such as herpes type 2, could feel life-altering could feel life-altering because that is the story that culture has told us that we have to be perfect we have to be i'm gonna i hate using the word but we have to be clean right um but i've never met anybody who's clean and if you're clean then you don't have a healthy microbiome so (laughs) um 
it's a work and it's part of the process. I have another patient who I recently saw last week who was herpes type two and she gets recurrent infections all the time. She can't even take antivirals. They kind of suppress her, but then she ends up having rebounds from it. And so she has, you know, and she, and she pretty much told me, I was like, how do you deal with that? Like, what, how does it affect you in your life? And she's like, you know what? I just integrate it as part of who I am. And I have made a choice to only be with uh, positive people, other people who test positive because it's just easier for me. I don't have to worry about letting, giving it to someone else. But, you know, it kind of sucks, but it is who I am. It's part of my package. Just like there's people who part of their packages is that they are suffering from a mental illness or something else. And that's all part of the STARS conversation. That's why it equalizes the playing field on all of the levels. By talking about your status and, and, and saying who you are, not just in isolation of like, yeah, my only issue is this, I'm gonna hold up my hand because I'm positive, uh, versus like, oh yeah, that's part of, that's one of the aspects of who I am. Yeah. I'm also someone who loves humans and moving on to the T, we talk about turn-ons. I think that right after discussing sexual health, that is a very vulnerable position for many of us given whatever our experience was upon diagnosis, the events that occurred around that, and it's all an aspect. Some of it it's a traumatic event. And so we're showing this vulnerability to a partner and when there's this exchange and it's accepted it also gives the other person permission to share something that may be vulnerable for them whether it be something along the lines of the trauma that was experienced by the person disclosing or even if it's that they also have experience with a positive sci diagnosis or sexual trauma and from there you're able to not only connect there but it also makes you feel safer in communicating your T, which is your turn-ons. Actually, turn-ons can be very challenging, too. This whole conversation can be very challenging. And a lot of times, we don't even know what turns us on. We just take it for granted. We don't take that moment to sit back and think and take a breath and say, oh, yes, this is what I enjoy and this is what I want. Um, we think that it has... To the other person has to figure it out and that we really aren't allowed to enjoy things until they figure it out and then bring it to us. And to be able to say, no, this is what I like. Like I like to be touched in this way is very powerful and allows that other person a, a starting point. Like I have no idea the way a new lover likes to be touched and I don't want to have to mess it up or figure it out or have them bear something that they don't like. Um, you know, when there's something about being able to go through your sexual health and then go into a place that's positive and a place of pleasure and a place of being empowered by saying, you know, I like to be touched softly. It turns me on to spend a lot of time just holding someone's hand. Or, you know, I like to be grabbed and thrown up against a wall and be kissed passionately, you know? And you what you what you might want from different people can very well be different. When you're in a place of vulnerability and saying, I have herpes type two, I break out three to four times a year, it's very difficult for me, I kind of suffer through that, and it's very scary for me to, you know, tell you this, and at the same time, like, oh, you know what, I really like it when my hair is pulled, 
and you kiss me slowly around my neck and we kind of start just by looking into each other's eyes and you know sometimes I like to be spanked here and there and I don't always have to be at a place of penetration and genital touch I get a lot of turn on by you touching my breast you know so the segue between the two can also bring it back to that sensual sexy this is what I want with you yeah. conversation and get away from just having it to be this heavy like oh my gosh I feel shame you just put that in words that I, I I didn't have the vocabulary or language for it after that conversation tell them you know well here's how we can proceed we can use barriers and we can go into what sex looks like and begin the negotiations process so for you to have like sat there and really role played it out um i think that that's way more helpful to the listeners than what i've been given because i'm like yeah you just say what you want to do so that maybe they like their hair pulled or to be choked or their butt slapped and with that you're also giving the other person the opportunity to also feel empowered because it feels good to give another person pleasure. And when someone can go into an interaction without having to figure it out or think too much, it allows for you to really be present and enjoy the experience. I also think that, like, you know, it's just part of the conversation. It shouldn't take the whole conversation. You are not your infection. That's not who you are are as a person it's just part of who you are just like some people may have be anxious or have depression or have diabetes or hypertension they're all just little elements of who we are as people and there's no way that you're going to get into a relationship with another person without bringing some of your baggage somewhere right i mean we both bring that to the table so when we're talking about sexual health part of it is about bringing what we know about ourselves and what the risks there are with ourselves. I mean, sexual health could also be something like I suffer from a lot of anxiety and there's times when I get overwhelmed and I, and I could look X, Y, and Z from that. So, you know, just understand that to minimize those risks, that may mean that if I start getting nervous, you can hold my hand. You know, I'm just like bringing in another, something else that isn't just about infections that we carry that story with us. And so I kind of liked the tea, the turn on after something so heavy. And so it, you know, with, with the sexual health STI status, that's like medical, it's this is what it is, it's positive or negative, these are my risks, this is what I do to decrease my risks, this is how often I get tested, uh, this is when my last test was, how about you? But then going into something that could be very sexual and, se and sexy and fun and talking about what turns you on, it's kind of a nice way of balancing that. Um, and then of course, when you're talking about what you like, it's often very important to follow up with your boundaries or what you don't want or what you don't like because i think we take it for granted and sometimes you know the pornification of our culture makes people think that we all want the same things what we see taught to us and that's not necessarily true so to be able to have your boundaries and state like you know what i don't want you to come on my face the first time you ejaculate yeah can you imagine being like the person who doesn't like that at all and having not communicated that and being with someone who's like every partner I have loves when I come on their face. And then like, how awkward is it? Because I'm sure there's times where people just feel like they can't say anything, or then this like rage oh of God. emotion just kind of comes out. Right, and I think that's where almost all sexual assaults and non-consensual is because we don't communicate that with each other. And sometimes we don't know what our boundaries are. 
So the A part of STARS is avoids, which gets us more in-depth to boundaries. How do we begin to develop boundaries, especially if we may find ourselves in a situation that we've never been in before? Well, you know, the thing about boundaries is that we've all hit them. I don't believe anybody who says they don't have any. We all have some. And people say to me, oh, I like doing everything. I'm like, oh, do you like having somebody make you bleed? And people are like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, okay, that's a boundary. So, you know, we do have our boundaries. The thing is sometimes we discover them as we're going along with life too. So when you're at your A's, it's really good to say something. Like say, I don't like this or I don't want this. There's probably like a hundred other things that you wouldn't want, but you just don't know it yet. But by actually saying it from the get-go and saying, you know, I have boundaries and I'm going to communicate them with you, allows you that when you come up against them in relationship or later on, that you're able to bring that up again. You're not scared to say, oh no, they did something they didn't like. For example, you may like the way somebody touches you, like all your partners, they all touched you well, but you have a new partner and their hands are rougher. And you say, oh, I like to be touched softly. I don't like to be touched hard. And then they touch you in the way that they think is soft, but it's a little too hard for you. You can say, oh, you know, I wonder if we can go a little softer than that. Or, you know, let's experiment a little bit. But if you've never said anything in the ghetto, it's harder to bring that up later. We're almost setting the boundary of being able to communicate boundaries, which to me just sounds like consent. It's all the same thing, right? I mean, consent is the bigger picture. Consent is all of these things together. Consent is stars together. Stars is a conversation to create consensual relationships because you're talking about every single element of consent of like, this is what I need to be sexually healthy. This is what I need to be mentally healthy. This is what I want and desire. This is what I don't want and desire. And by having this conversation, this kind of consent conversation before you actually get naked or altered allows you to bring in those conversations later on as well. And also like there are a lot of people that have experienced sexual trauma who then when they re-experience it or it gets triggered especially when we get into our trigger the fight flight or freeze most women tend to freeze in those moments we don't tend to be the ones who are fighting and arguing if somebody's touching us in a way that we feel lack of autonomy we tend to freeze and go into each other and sometimes our partners can't see that they just think that we're in our own headspace, right? So if you say, you know, I've had this experience once where somebody did X, Y, and Z, and I froze, and I look like I wasn't present. And if you see that, I'm going to ask you to stop and check in with me. So that's a way of creating boundaries of saying, you know, I've had this experience, or I've had some sexual trauma, and I need you to be gentle with me. How else is a partner going to know? I'm in my own headspace, right? So the avoids are so critical to create a safer container with each other. How do you begin to incorporate stars if you're someone who's been in a relationship for a while and it's not like it's a new conversation to have with a new partner, but how can we bring this into an existing relationship? That's great. I love that conversation. Usually I tell people that they heard about it. Hey, I just heard about this conversation that I listened to on a podcast or I saw or read about or my doctor gave it to me because I actually hand this to my patients to practice. And you could just say, hey, let's practice this. There's so many ways of doing it, writing it out. 
emailing it, having a conversation little bits by bits. Like, I would like to talk a little bit about where we're at, what we enjoy with each other, and what we don't enjoy, because it feels like we're taking it for granted. I mean, I just had this conversation with a partner of mine for three years, where we're like, hey, let's do our stars talk again. It's been a really long time, and we may know the STI, but let's talk about all of it. Let's, what is it that we like doing with each other? What is it that we don't? We need a little bit more clarity. What are our intentions? And this goes into the next piece, which one could do, especially if you're in a relationship. And it's my relationship intentions. It's what you want with the other person. If I have sex with you, and if you have sex with me, what does that mean for us? What is the meaning that I'm going to give it? What is the meaning that you want from it? Is it a hookup? Are we just wanting to get off? Are we actually wanting to go into a deeper emotional state? Think about, like, I really want to know this person and spend more time with them, but I just have no time and I just want to, like, have a hookup. Isn't it good that we know this before we get into it? Because otherwise, we're going to have a lot of miscommunication in the meantime. What does it mean if we're in a long-term relationship with somebody and our intentions change with each other? Sometimes we're, like, waiting for the other person to say it. What would happen if I said it, right? What would happen if I say, you know what, I want to lean in more? Do you want to lean in more, more with me? These are scary things for us. This, I almost think, is harder than any other part because it takes a real vulnerability and knowing what we want with that other person. Sometimes we don't know what we want, and that's okay, too. So, you know, I don't know, and what I think I want may change and will change. But right now, if it was a new relationship and you're in it with someone new, it's often good to say, this is who I am. Like, I am a cisgendered pansexual, which means that I am open to relating with anybody of any genitalia, of any configuration. I am polyamorous, and what that means to me is not that I have multiple relationships and I carry a huge constellation. It just means that I have a big heart and I love to love people. Sometimes those loves are people that I'm in sexual relationship with, and sometimes they're not. I consider myself a relationship anarchist. That's kind of the relationship style I do, which is very much a conscious relating. So I consciously come to the table with all my partners, whether they're my platonic partners, intimate partners, sexual partners, play partners, but we're very clear on what we want and we bring to the table on that. It's very conscious. So relationship intentions is very, very important to me. But for other people who are just trying to figure this out, you know, you got to just start by saying what it is you want with the other person. And if you're in a long-term relationship, it might be a little place where you take a breath and you take a pause and you sit down and you're like, okay, this is what we have. We are living together. We're in a long-term commitment. We share finances. We share creative energy. We have children. Is this where we want to be? Are we, are we in relationship with each other because this is where we want to be, where our heart tells us to be, or are we in it because, gosh, we don't feel we have a choice? And how do we change that? How do we make it a choice? How do we bring it back so it's intentional? It requires self-awareness. Oh, yes. <laughs> Doesn't all of STARS require self-awareness? It could produce a lot of anxiety to bring this up to a partner hey, we've got all of this happening right now. We've got a family, we've got a house, we've got children, and I just heard the stars talk, and maybe we should revisit our intentions with one another, like where we are now and where we see ourselves going. I could imagine there being someone who at that point expresses that maybe they're not 
feeling fulfilled or maybe not happy, and the other person having no idea that that was taking place. Oh my God, then don't you think they should talk about it? <laughs> and that's where we take each other for granted, and that's where relationships start to have fractures. And that's when growth doesn't happen within this. And the whole point of STARS is to have the healthiest, best love and sexual relationships that are possible but it does take a lot of self-awareness and the sooner we learn that that is important for us as humans and for us to be healthy the sooner we can take responsibility for that in all of the things that we do the healthier our lives are going to be so yeah it's hard i'm not going to lie and so like my my idea my first concept is like oh you do this in the beginning right you do this before you really have an investment in the other person by just stating like, this is what I want. Like, Oh, I want to just date. I want to keep it light. Or, you know, I'm looking for a life partner or I'm just looking for sex. Uh, by keeping it light and like, this is what it would mean allows you then if the relationship changes and grows, you've already started with that conversation in the beginning. So it's easier to put it in along the way. If you're starting right off the bat, gosh, I think everybody, every couple, needs to have a time and a moment where they just sit with each other and and reevaluate what are our intentions with each other are we getting are we doing what we're, we we want to do what i love most about stars is even though r is toward the end it is all interchangeable you can use it wherever so if you are someone who has a positive sci status and you're dreading having to disclose why not start with the r and we begin looking at a person's intentions or we analyze our own intentions with another person and get to see what theirs are before we even put ourselves in the position to disclose. Some of the workshops, when I teach workshops on the stars, we actually begin with the R. Mm. And it racks, it just doesn't flow like stars. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like stars way better. Yeah. Rats doesn't quite work in the same way. But yeah, sometimes... Definitely, and it is, the mnemonic is just to remind you of different elements. It doesn't mean sometimes you want to start with the avoid. Sometimes you want to start with the safer sex. Sometimes you don't even need to get to the sexual health. If it's a play environment that you're not doing anything, to, you know, that has risks of, of transmitting infections, although you always have a risk of transmitting infections if you're a human, even talking to another person, you may not need to get there. You may not need to get all of them. Relationship intentions is very, very key. Just like boundaries, I think they're very, very important because they set the stage and they set the container. I've messed up in the past with this, with partners being like, all right, what are we? And that's kind of where we set the relationship intention, but the language wasn't there, nor was the self-awareness. It's just like we've been unconsciously just doing what we do and then all of a sudden we look up and it's like, wait, you, you had intentions here? You wanted something? The R here allows for us to really sit with that and be intentional in relationships. When I've spoken to people who have herpes and they've kind of used it as a filter for partners. So it's like, all right, I'm going to disclose to you and see how you respond to it. Now we have like that can even be put on the back burner and we open with what your intentions are with me and then we have the conversation about disclosure and if there's consistency there then we know oh this person really has this intention and they have it with me despite my sti status 
and now I could say what I want and what I don't want either, right? I could now reveal like what turns me on and what I don't like. Every way that we have this conversation could flow in its uniqueness. It really is more of a model to create conscious relationships. Oh, okay. I like the way that that was worded. Yeah. Did you have anything yeah. else that you wanted to add on the relationship intention before we get to the last well, ask? much yeah i feel clear like closure with that and then the last part the last s be perfect there is no such thing as safety we cannot walk out the door with thinking that we live in a world that is perfectly safe everything we do takes risks everything that we interact with has a price to pay and that's no different when it comes to sex there's no such thing as safe sex I like the idea, like I talk about it in my TED Talk, like to see it like getting into a car. You know, we could only do the best we can. We, we put our seatbelts on. We have airbags in our car. We stop at the red light. We go when it's green. We're watching out for other drivers. We're looking at our rear view mirrors. So if we're not actually able to do all those things, something may happen. And you could do everything perfect and something may still happen. We also change the volume of our music. We may change the station. We may take a phone call, put up our GPS. And these are all things that increase the risk of us uh, becoming distracted and at risk of a car accident. So there are all of these things that we completely overlook. And I just wanted to also loop that in there to bring it all together, because those are also actions that increase our risk. Absolutely. I'd like to throw the concept of safe sex out the window. No such thing. And so with the S, you know, people often think, oh, it's about condoms and it's about how to decrease the risks of STI and pregnancy. And that's part of the conversation. But that's not the entire conversation when it comes to safety, because we forget that it's not just about avoiding undesired pregnancy or undesired infections, but it's also about what we need to feel safe within ourselves and in our relationship with others. For one, I I like the example that I give is that I don't like, um, if anybody's been drinking or if I've been drinking, usually the limit is two drinks, but if I am with a partner who's been drinking or I'm drinking, then then any sexual intimacy is off the table. Like it's just not gonna happen for me because I don't feel safe in those contexts. I don't feel safe that the person can consent or that I can consent. If that's something I'm going to do with a partner, then it's discussed beforehand. Like, hey, I don't mind having drunk sex tonight. Let's, like, have fun. And I know you. I feel safe with you. We are, You know, we already have that established. But, like, any new partner, that is just not. It may be using condoms with new partners. It may be not drinking. It may be, like, if I'm going to go to your house, I'm going to let a friend know where I'm at. And I'm going to keep my location on my phone. Or somebody's going to call me and check in on me. But I want to let people know this. I don't want to just do things undermindedly, you know. There's also, like, what if things go wrong? What would that mean to you? What would it mean to you if the condom breaks and I get pregnant? We don't talk about this. And I know too many 21-year-old men who become fathers without necessarily thinking that that hookup is going to give them, bring them a whole life change. So talking about, like, what that means and what can happen if things don't work out the way that you work it out so that in the end you're not angry and resentful and all the things and i love the concept of safer sex because i mean that's what we 
advocate for here in the podcast as well is minimizing the risk as best we can, but understanding that there is always going to be a risk. The best things that we can do are, they are all in line with self-awareness, understanding your body, what your triggers may be, if you are someone who's positive, and getting to a space where you're able to communicate that with partners. So if you're someone who's negative, we've got to be able to trust our partner. And if we're positive, we also have to be able to trust our partner and have that communication and have them understand that we are only able to be safer and that that's all we can do. We're doing the best that we can. And we're not our positively or negatively. We are all of the things, you know? Minimizing what we bring to the table and minimizing our risks are the best we can do. I love that the STARS model integrates all the aspects of a disclosure and then some. It's just so well thought out, well detailed, and we'll link to the STARS TEDx talk in the show notes. You also have a worksheet that I would love to be able to share as well in the show notes. Can we kind of talk through that a little bit? And I'm going to be rude, and I I usually don't do this, but I have it pulled up in the background. But I want to kind of walk through some of this. So on the STARS worksheet, there are four pages. Is this for partners or is this for patients? It's for anyone. It's available to everybody. So I teach workshops, and in our workshop, we actually practice this. We actually go through the talk and just start learning how to use the words and feel it, because without practicing, it's really hard to know how to do it. So this worksheet is accessible to anybody to go through and look at and say, oh, yeah, because there's so many things we don't think about. Like, oh, yeah, I do like this, or no, I don't like this. This is what I would want to say or not say. So it's just a little guide to help people go through the process. I have given it to patients. You know, it's open source for anybody who wants to try to use it. I tell people to practice it with friends first. Do the talk with a friend. You can text it to people. You can email it to people. You can write it down for yourself. And I actually have a Google link that people could fill out a form and send me yours. And when I write my book, I'm actually going to share other people's stars talks, like and not like. But yeah, no, this, this worksheet is available to anybody who wants to think about it and use it and play with it. Just to give everyone an idea of what this looks like, we talk about sexually transmitted infections. They're labeled here, and it goes, I was tested for the following, and my results were blank. This is how often I get tested. Some of my risk factors are even just talking about having multiple sex partners, being sexually active with partners who engage in sexual activity with the same sex, whatever your age is. We're talking about having partners who have herpes or have HIV. That is something that I want to touch on because I don't think that this has been a big deal to people to share that they've been with a partner who was HIV or HSV positive. Can we talk about that? Sure, yes. Um, so... It's especially important if, you, if you're ethically non-monogamous or if you're somebody who has multiple partners to be able to say, oh, this partner has this and be able to freely disclose it to anybody else you're with or somebody in your past. I like knowing that. I think it is important to disclose 
again, it's about transparency and about authenticity and bringing things to the table. If somebody has a lot of shame and fear, that's going to possibly make them scared. It's almost like if somebody has that much shame and fear that they can't hold space for the fact that I may have had a partner who was positive in the past, then that may not be a good mix for me. How far back do we want to go, though? So let's say I've been in a relationship with someone who... I know has genital herpes and I'm, I've not tested positive yet. So we're talking about a relationship that may have ended six months ago and I was recently tested and I test negative for genital herpes. Do I still disclose to my, what is it? My circle, my polycule, my, my partners. You know, I, when I ask, I usually like to know people within the last year or two. Beyond two years, it doesn't matter to me because if you haven't come back positive, you know, if you've never had a breakout, then I'm feeling pretty certain you're fine. You're fine. If it's been six months, well, there's still that possibility. Although most people, when they convert, they usually have um, a breakout within the first six months. Usually if it's beyond six months and you're, you know, you may be positive for the antibody. I don't really, I could go into testing and all, I, I actually study a lot about herpes type 2 and about the testing that's available, and unfortunately, the tests aren't really that great. Um, they have a very low positive predictive value, which means that people who test positive, the, the I think it's like 37% of the people who test positive on the blood test will ever actually have a breakout or show signs of having it. So it's a, not a very good test. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to have enough of the virus to actually give it, to contract it, have lesions, and then give it to someone else. But it's the only thing we have. Yeah. So um, I have very mixed feelings about doing that test and getting tested for that. I don't recommend it to everybody. I do recommend it to people who have been in relationships with uh, positive, ser positive seroconverted um, herpes who are in a open, non-monogamous situation. Meaning that if my partner has herpes and I have multiple other partners that I may be putting at risk, I'd like to know if I have the antibody. And if I do have the antibody, then I would probably put myself on the antiviral to decrease my risk of transmission. But if I'm not going to go on an antiviral and it's not going to change my behavior, then there's no point in doing that test because the test doesn't show for certain that I'm positive or negative. The blood test for herpes is not a definitive answer and that we don't have a definitive answer. The only thing we know is that if you have broken out with herpes, then you have and been tested, then you have the, the, the infection. We know that. What do we do about those people who have a positive blood test but have never broken out? I don't know. It could be a false positive. I haven't heard this angle before. So I've heard um, that doctors may not want to test because the test is expensive. I've heard that maybe they don't want to test because uh, if you don't have physical symptoms, then there's no need to test. And then another common one is um, that the emotional, the psycho, I forget the exact word, but the mental and emotional response to a positive diagnosis often is way worse than 
the physical symptoms are. And given that the birth of this podcast was as a result of people expressing depression and suicide ideation, then I mean, I can I can speak to that for sure. But not testing because of that. I don't know. I'm very conflicted about this. So it's really interesting because I've read a lot of the recommendations because the recommendation changed in 2000. I think it was 2018 where we it's no longer recommended to do the blood test for herpes. If you read the reasoning behind it is exactly what you just said because of the emotional discomfort of a positive test without actually it having an infection or any of the physical symptoms that the emotional part of having the test is worse than having the test itself. But there's been studies that have actually negated that, that show that people who've had a positive test do not fare worse than people who, who haven't. Honestly, I think the reason the test is not recommended is because it's a really shitty test. It's a really shitty test. I mean, let's just say that. It's a shitty test, and as a physician, how do I counsel my patients who come back positive on a shitty test? I don't know what to say. And if I, who studied herpes and have read all the studies and know everything about what's out there to know about herpes, because I'm very fascinated by this infection and what it means in a bigger cultural setting, if I don't know how to counsel people, how does this doctor next door who doesn't know shit, who's married, monogamous, has been with the same partner since they were 20 years old, what do they say? They don't know what to say. So... I do offer the test for people. I let them know this is a bad test. If it's positive, if you come back showing that you have the antibody against herpes, this means that you most likely were exposed to herpes and that you developed an immune response against it. Does it mean that you have enough of the viral load to shed and you might actually pass it on to somebody without ever having an infection? Possibly, yeah, you might. Does it mean that you're going to break out into herpes? Yeah, you might. Does it mean that you may never, ever, ever break out or shed? Yeah, it can mean that too. So it means all of it. Now, if you're with one person, one partner, and um, and you've never broken out, and they never broken out, then it's probably not worth getting the test because it's just going to make you crazy. You're going to start crazy thinking and being like, oh, my God, am I positive? Am I negative? Am I going to give it to somebody? Am I not? Blah, blah, blah. There's no answer for that because it's a shitty test. If it means that you have multiple partners and there's a risk that you can end up spreading it to multiple partners and it's important to know if you have the antibody, because if you do have the antibody, you would go on a prophylactic antiviral to minimize that chance, get the test done. If you're going to do something about it, get the test done. If you're at higher risk, such as being non-monogamous, being a sex worker, having HIV, having a lesion that's been negative but possibly could still be it, you have a partner that's positive and you're really concerned because you may have other partners, or you have a partner that's positive and you want to stop using condoms. These are all reasons to get the test. So there are reasons and valid reasons to get the test because you know that the results are going to change the outcome. Mm-hmm. But if the results aren't going to change the outcome, then it's not worth it. So this really just sounds like, I mean, exactly what I found from doing the podcast. Um, I've got 113 episodes. Not all of them have been posted, but the general consensus is that herpes is just a tricky virus. And right. it's way more uh, stressful to try and understand and pinpoint the exact risk of transmission than it is to just communicate hey there's a possibility 
I don't know, you know, I can do what I can to keep us safer. Here are my intentions exactly. with you. It's better to just have the conversation than it is to put on a whole body latex suit, you know? Absolutely. And it's a tricky little virus. It's one of the trickiest viruses out there. It is, yeah, it's a tricky virus. Yeah. And it really makes us have to think about what we carry with us. Like, what shame do we have? What stories do we have? Who, how do we take care of our bodies? How do we take care of the bodies of the people that we love? How are we conscious? How are we self-aware? How do we move in this world with grace and love and let go of shame and stigma? Yeah. And I really can honestly say that for me, I think that my whole self-awareness kicked off with having to examine my behaviors after I received my positive HSV2 diagnosis. When I got to just see how unconsciously I was navigating life, I began to examine that and ask why and why I did certain things, look at behaviors, look at beliefs, begin to challenge those. And it kick-started me down a road of just having more meaningful interactions with people yeah. and the world around yeah. me and the connections have just been phenomenal lately. So I will say that I think we all have some sort of a catalyst for self-awareness. And for many of us, I think that examining this will lead us to, I don't know, maybe um, our beliefs about sex, for example. And once you get into that, I think you really uncover a lot of stigma, shame, guilt, whatever, beliefs that weren't yours to begin with. Exactly. I kind of call it this like sexuality backpack that we carry with ourselves that has all of our stories and the things that serve us like water and snacks, but then the things that don't serve us like that rock we picked up on the road that just keep us weighing down. I mean, you know, sometimes it's important. We have these different catalysts that make us have to take off our backpack and look inside and start removing the things that don't serve us and letting go so that we can work walk through this world with the things we need and that are helpful but don't actually drag us down and make it so life is so challenging stars is really about looking at all those things in our backpack and all the shame and stigma that we have with us yeah and closing out the stars worksheet because we, we got on herpes and we stayed on yeah. there for a minute but yeah from talking about our risks we go into the turn-ons which can just be kissing eye gazing gifts uh sexting dirty talk and then we can also talk about where we like to be touched we can talk about what we enjoy doing for other people and then we go into the avoids what the big turn-offs are what we don't like um where people are going to ejaculate um, and then we can get into other things to consider, uh, relationship intentions, where we talk about expectations, what you want to give to the person and what you would like to receive from the other person. And then we talk about safer sex. We talk about using barriers. Um, if there are going to be barriers used for oral, we can talk about antivirals or medications, whether or not people want children and in the event that the protective measures fail what are we going to do to move forward how do we handle that so stars itself is beyond an amazing tool for disclosure it's an amazing tool for self-awareness as well being able to sit back and examine your own intentions with partners and you could just have this in your back pocket as your go-to so what i just read from was a long version and dr Evelyn dacker has a short version as well 
We'll link to the STARS worksheet in the show notes. So if you want to get a copy of that, like you can just click the link, log into your Google and download it. Um, we won't see any of your information or anything. So it's safe if you want to just pull that up. And feel free to sh- circulate this. Share it with people. Share it with your partners. Share it with close friends and let them know like, hey, let's have these conversations. And it's something that you may even be able to practice on with someone. We'll link to the TEDx talk. We'll link to this worksheet. And, um, yeah, any any questions or feedback, Dr. Evelyn Dacker is going to let everyone know here how they can get in contact with her. Yeah, so you can email me at E-V-E-L-I-N-M-G at gmail.com. And um, there's also maketimeforthetalk.com, which is the website for stars. And... Um, evelinedacker.com as well. Thank you. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you'd like to leave us with? Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I think I feel pretty complete with everything. I could talk and talk and talk about many different things, but this is definitely one of my passions. So thank you for letting me share. I appreciate that. And you also mentioned just, this is a way to just make the world a better place. Just, um, in, when we have a, ah, I forget what the TED Talk description said at the end, but you mentioned um, sex positivity, making the world a better place, I believe. Yes, yes. Yes, so I am the executive director of Sex Positive Portland, and we have a umbrella organization, Sex Positive Worlds, that is all trying to help destigmatize and de-shame the way that we navigate our sexual pleasure and lives. Um, we're always looking to open new, new chapters, so if there's any questions about that, you can reach out to me as well. Thank you, Dr. Dacker. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was lovely speaking with you all. I appreciate stars and there's so many other elements of it that I appreciate. Uh, One of which is relationship intention. It's not always something that we talk about. We would look up after being in a situation with someone and then decide, okay, where is this going? I found myself in that situation. I can't tell you how many times, but what's really cool about that even is you can start there before you even have to disclose to a person. Start with relationship intention. And if your concern is that the other person isn't going to be accepting of your status, then if you're aware that their relationship intention either isn't genuine, doesn't match up with yours, or uh, it's it's inconsistent with their behaviors towards you, then you can make the decision to go ahead and end the interaction or decide that, okay, well, we're just not going to move forward sexually. Therefore, I'm not going to even bother putting you at risk. Therefore, I don't have to worry about even having this conversation with you. If you're someone who only dates people who are positive for Uh, the SCI that you may be living with and you use a dating app such as datingpositives.com then relationship intention is still going to be relevant in having that kind of conversation so we want to talk about what do you want long term do you want something short term what do you want and do you want that with me And then you can begin to go into the other elements of the conversation. Talking about your turn-ons and avoids is some powerful stuff. This is something that I've revisited with my partner, being able to talk about what turns us on and and being able to just play around with that. It's, It's a really good, it's fun, and it can be playful. And I think that it takes a lot of anxiety out of disclosure. So 
Take this out there with you. Take this into your relationships. Take this onto datingpositives.com when you start messaging people. And really, really use this tool because I believe that this is a really powerful way to empower us to connect. Not only intimately or if we're going to be involved with someone sexually, but also even in like the workplace or in the relationships around you. These are going to be things that uh, these are things that I like about our interaction instead of turn ons. Here are some avoids instead of just being sexual uh, in terms of like how people talk to you when you're putting boundaries in place. So for instance, people who may get a lot of private messages on Instagram from someone who maybe found out that they were open about having herpes and they just want uh, someone wants support some kind of way. You can let you can set these boundaries in place almost immediately. You know, hey, uh, please address me as a person first. Uh, go through this process of looking up information and then just keep it, it goes on from there but the most important thing here is to understand a person's intentions with you and then allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you're going to feel but before we go into what may be the most dreaded thing disclosure decide if a person's intentions align with yours and then you can make the decision on whether or not you're even going to put them at risk or if you even want to put them at uh, at risk of contracting the STI that you have. And then, of course, communicating it to them and disclosing to them and being safe and taking whatever precautions that you normally take. So thank you for listening to Dr. Eveline Dacker on this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Till next time. Stay sex positive.